Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Uh, we've got a bit of a, a different episode this week because half the team uh, are on holiday. The lead feature, which we usually discuss, is a team effort, and they're not here to discuss it. So, so we've got we've got a special guest here today instead, uh, John Barron. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well, and I'm special because I'm cheap, and I'm filling in a gap, obviously. I don't think you're cheap. <laughs> John Barron is, as you will undoubtedly know, our investment trust columnist. Your column appeared actually last week, I think, rather than this it week, did. but yeah. uh, we can talk about that. So we're just going to kind of chew the fat about uh, hmm. your approach to investing, John. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Looking forward to it. Uh, and, and why you do what you do for us, and, mm-hmm. uh, and what your views on, on the markets are, and where, and where they're going. Mm-hmm. So... Let's talk about the investment trust column. Why do you do it? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the main purpose of the column that you write for us, in, in, in your mind? I think it's a wish, really, to share with readers, or whoever wishes to read, that investment doesn't have to be complex to succeed. I think there's no shortage of good financial commentary about individual markets, individual companies, but there's still relatively little that weaves all that together to suggest a coherent strategy, if you like, an investment approach in real time. And I think one of the unique features of this column is that it does actually put to the readers two real investment trust portfolios. They're not virtual, they're not make-believe, they actually exist. And in doing so, you share the successes, but you also share the, the failures because you cannot go through investment without both. And if you like, reports on the progress of those two portfolios over time. And I've been writing the column now with the IC since 2009, I think. So we've been at it for a little while. And I hope you'll forgive me, but the two stand alone. They're called growth and income. Uh, Their objectives are, are by nomenclature. But the bottom line is, is that they're part of seven that I run elsewhere, if you like, on my website. And I enjoy doing it because I think it's providing a service. And uh, I'm told it's interesting. It, it is interesting. It's, <laughs> it definitely is interesting. Um, I mean, it's always good to hear what real investors are doing with yeah. their money. Uh, we have uh, John Rosier in this week's yep. magazine. John Rosier yep. is uh, our private investor diarist. So he, he is, uh, yep. his approach is, is individual equities, uh, often small caps. And he was uh, introduced to, uh, to us by you, in fact. Yeah, John, absolutely. At the House, yeah, of, a, well, House of Parliament. He's an old friend because um, we worked at Henderson's together many moons ago, back in the 80s. And we'd kept in touch. And then when I heard what he was up to, I thought it would be a natural fit for the IC. And I'm pleased he's proved popular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your, your column is obviously the original, the original uh, sort of diarist column. Uh, and we do know it's popular. Yeah. I, I was, uh, so we've launched our new website this week. And one of, the, one of my jobs for that was to, to get the portfolio clinic into shape. So what we do is we... We invite readers to submit their portfolios and then a, a number of our experts will, will go through them. A number of outside experts will be invited to comment on, on where those portfolios can be improved. And, and as I was going through sort of uh, the, the, the last year's worth, your name crops up quite a lot. So, so I think it's working. I think people are actually... in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. They, they follow your approach. Yeah. Um, you know, what we have also discussed at times is, you know, following an approach is one thing, but... but we're always conscious of the danger that people consider it kind of more like a tipping service. And I think, I think as we were discussing earlier, that's something you're keen to avoid. Yes, very much so. I mean, I perhaps need to restate here, but I restate in the column quite regularly. This is not a, a stock tipping service, um, picking service. This is more about saying, look, this is what I'm up to with regards to these portfolios. It's making clear or in real time um, portfolio changes, not that we 
uh, make too many in the portfolios um, because if investment is for the long term, you don't need to make uh, many changes, particularly when dealing with investment trusts. But it's about reporting the progress, about the, the reporting on the progress, if you like, of these two portfolios to the readers. And I get, as you do probably through your channels, lots of requests regarding, oh, well, you know, can I can I advise on, uh, you know, readers' individual stocks or portfolios or pension arrangements and so forth. And I make it very clear that uh, that's up to them and their IFAs. But I still think we're providing a a, 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 a realistic and, and decent service in the sense that we're, we are providing a service whereby we're saying, look, here's a real-time portfolio, uh, share in the successes, share in the failures. But overall, the longer-term track record and investment by its very nature is long-term. Over the long-term, we have done rather well relative to the benchmarks and i pursue a series of principles uh, investment principles uh, as well as keeping an eye on things like discounts when it comes to investment trusts and i think we can point to a long-term track record that most readers seem to acknowledge has been very successful yeah absolutely it's, it is almost exclusively investment trust based mm. what, what why is that why have you made that decision because i think investment trusts have been the cinderella of the investment, uh, uh, if you like, universe for far too long. That begs the question, who's the ugly sister? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you tempt me, John. (laughs) Let me just stick with investment trust. Um, You know, I think investment trusts have been in the shadows for too long. I I don't presume as to know what, you know, to think that every reader knows what investment trust is. But essentially, it's a closed-ended company like a Shell or a a Marks and Spencers. But instead of trading oil or clothes, uh, these closed companies trade um, investments. Um, You can specialise in investment trusts in certain areas, regions or themes. And because they're a closed-ended company, you have a discount to net asset value. Uh, and if you keep a reasonably close eye on detail, then they can be very rewarding over the long term. Indeed, the long-term track record of investment trust knocks its competitors, its open-ended competitors like Unit Trust and Oix, into a cock hat, and it beats most benchmarks. And that's, that's on an NAV basis? That's on an NAV basis. It's not even taking into account what you can achieve by, by trading in uh, opportune times. Absolutely right. Uh, and if you get a narrowing of the discount as well, a discount being the difference between the price and the, the value of the underlying um, portfolio, then you can do even better than that. So if you keep an eye on all those factors, then investment trusts can serve investors very well, particularly long-term investors. And I say that. These portfolios are about long-term investing. I I do not know where the market's going in the very short term. I leave that to wiser investors. What I do tend to do is stick with the market. Uh, And if you are investing for the medium to long term, then they will reward you well for too long Investment trusts have, as as I say, been almost the city's best-kept secret. When I was a private client and charity fund manager in the 80s, we used to use them regularly. But out in the retail sector, um, you know, private clients out, out outside the, the big fund management groups, they were hardly known about. And I think that is slowly changing for the benefit of investors general. Yeah, I, th- I mean, they've always been popular amongst our readers. And I think that's partly because they're, they're tradable securities, mm. uh, but also because there is a sort of uh, certain stock peakiness about them. So the fact that you can buy them at discounts, the fact that you can adopt value approaches with investment mm. trusts, I think, I think is why, why our readership particularly like them. In, contra- in contrast to, to open-ended funds. Yes. Um, the other thing I would say about them, as you, as you, you alluded to, I mean, they do offer you, uh, there is a huge range of investment trusts out there that mean that, that you can play almost any theme you like. So whilst you're not trying to predict what the market's going to do, you do have some, some sort of big ideas that you try and represent yes. in the portfolios. Yes, I think that's right. Um, 
I, I mean, where does one start? Very briefly, I believe you should broadly stick with the market. Um, you know, t- the old adage, time in the market is better than market timing. I do adhere to rebalancing occasionally. Total return approach, um, in other words, reinvesting the dividends because that is the lion's share of, of total returns over the longer term. But when it comes to individual thematic approaches, um, each uh, of the portfolios, both the two in the IC and the seven um, in my on my website, um, has a broadly speaking a thematic approach and there are certain themes I'm very supportive of one is biotechnology I think that's where the investment community can can come together with research and development and do some good um, for, for all sides that's a big theme that John uh, Rosier who oh, good. mentioned he plays that too good. so he likes uh, bi- biotech go- growth trust example. that's right I play it slightly different I, uh, it's very similar I play um, international biotechnology trust uh, run by um, by Carl, and it's done a very, very good job. Um, but uh, biotechnology is one. Technology, standalone technology, is another. Uh, I also like infrastructure a little bit with regards to emerging markets. There are one or two other themes. Solar power, I like, I support because of the income, uh, the yield. And there are one or two other themes as well. So I think there should always be room in a portfolio for a thematic element. Because I think there are certain, um, as I say, themes out there that are set to do well over the longer term. And if you are a long-term investor, then you can ride the volatility that comes with it. Mm. I mean, technology is, a, is an interesting one. I, th- I think when you've presented at our events, you've, you've often mentioned that you don't have any specific US exposure and that mm. you play that mm. through these themes. Mm. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, I, I do have some US exposure direct. Um, I have uh, North American income. I play oh, okay. the value side of the US market uh, via Aberdeen uh, fund managers. But I make up for the uh, approaching the value uh, via Aberdeen, the value approach, by pursuing more growth-orientated strategies via things like IBT, International Biotechnology Trust, even Herald, which is a straightforward technology trust, and one or two others, which have a large US component within them. So it sort of complements the value on the one side with the more growth approach of the specialist investment trusts that have a large US exposure. And that is the importance. I think it illustrates another point, John, and that is it illustrates the fact that you've got to take you look at got to look at portfolios in the round. You've got to take a holistic view, which is another reason why I suggest and you also agree that this is not about a stock picking service. It's about forging a portfolio that takes the rounded view, that takes a holistic approach. And that means that um, you know you should focus on the 20 odd holdings in each portfolio in the round rather than saying well i'm going to stop pick yeah I, I, obviously you, you know you've mentioned you have a, an income portfolio and a growth portfolio and you know actually what, one thing that's always struck me is that, that you know sometimes you might look at something that's in one of those portfolios and think that shouldn't be there that should mm. be in the other portfolio mm. for, or in fact you know perhaps they're in both and mm. And, and that I've always found quite interesting that, that you don't sort of discriminate between sort of growth and, and income uh, assets, underlying yes. assets, yeah. because you are you have a broader objective that they're fulfilling. I think that's uh, it's, it's well well spotted because you know I, I have income assets in both, for example, uh, solar, Bluefield Solar uh, Power, for example, that obviously uh, invests in, in in solar farms around the country, is a good example of that yielding nearly six percent. But I have no qualms about putting that also in the growth portfolio because uh, as i intimated uh, a little uh, a little earlier on income is an important component of total returns over the longer term absolutely absolutely. you get that compounding going well you get the absolutely john Uh, and also it's also a useful source of, of of reserve i think you should always have a little bit of reserve whilst i stick to the principle that 
you should stay invested. I also want in individual holdings in within each portfolio to be there so that when there is a correction, and there are times when there are corrections, you can't have uninterrupted rises in markets, you've got something that you can fall back on to use as a source of liquidity should you think the correction has taken has taken place too far in certain other holdings mm. uh, and take advantage of that weakness. I mean, to be to, to, on that point, I mean, you, as you said earlier, you know, you've been writing this portfolio for us since 2009 and, and, and we have largely witnessed the period of uninterrupted market uh, yes. bullishness um, yes. it, throughout that period. A correction could be coming. We yes. don't know when or, mm. or to what severity that will come. I mean, you know, how would you approach a situation where, whereby the market is correcting? You know, your, your, your philosophy is to stay invested, but it's that, that could be a very difficult time for investors to, to, to stay calm. Yes, it, it could be. And the temptation will be to, to perhaps head for the exits for the exit for, for perhaps a, a minority of investors. I, I, my approach is, is to stay invested, to have an, an, a little bit of cash around the place but also to hold income-producing assets. And I, I don't want to keep plugging Bluefield. I can think of perhaps other um, uh, assets as well, um, which could be there so that if there's a correction, you could perhaps look to top-slice those and, and reinvest that money in areas that have fallen further. Uh, and if there isn't a correction, then you're enjoying a 5.5-6% yield in an area of the market. And we were talking about themes earlier, and certainly solar power, power and renewable energy generally is one of the themes we pursue in both portfolios, mm. uh, in, in an area which I think has a, has a positive long-term future. So you're, you're in a way you're having your cake and eating it, um, because one day there will be a correction. So you want that, that mix of assets, cash, income-producing assets, but you also... Um, in directly answering your question, you need assets that perhaps um, might not fall as far, but might even rise. For example, commodities. Yeah, so this sounds this sounds to me like a you know classic uh, asset allocation approach. Uh, build that diversification into a yes. well-rounded portfolio, yes. so that so that so that such events are not you know problematic yes. overall. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you, you you know all portfolios to a certain extent should be diversified, but as you progress along your investment journey, usually denoted by age and time, you want to increasingly diversify your portfolio, uh, not just to protect um, previous gains, but as you approach your financial objectives. The last thing you want, as you are about to, uh, to hit your financial objectives, to then suffer a market correction. And if you're not adequately diversified, you'll, you'll, you'll set you back years. So it's, it's a combination of reasons. And what, the, one of the differences you'll see between the growth and the income portfolio is the extent to which that diversification moves forward. So in the growth, obviously, you have more bonds, but you also have more property, because I actually think it's a useful uh, way of diversifying, diversifying a portfolio, and it produces a decent yield. So the yield on the growth portfolio is about 3 3.1, 3.2, the yield on the income portfolio is around 4.5, helped by that diversification, which is important as you progress over time. So some of the portfolios you have on your website are, are even aimed actually uh, slightly big, you know, slightly further on in the, the yeah. investing journey uh, still. So, yes. you know, as approaching, you know, actually within retirement and yes. uh, what would you do differently there I, I, I must admit John I don't look at that one as much as I look at the others you're missing on a great opportunity John <laughs> all right. um, what I well it's very simple um, without getting unduly complex the summer and uh, sorry the growth and income in the um, IC the Investors Chronicle is what we call the summer and autumn 
the, on the website's portfolios and we have seasonal portfolios taking you from spring through to winter and as you progress through those four portfolios then um, you increasingly diversify and you raise the yield so that by the time you hit winter, you've got a, a, a lot more bonds, uh, you've got a lot more property, you've got a lot more diversification by way of themes, and you've got a 6% yield. And that's four of the seven portfolios. The other three equity portfolios pursue distinct objectives. So that is the difference, basically. As you diversify, as you progress along your investment journey, I think it's important to diversify. I, I like yield. And I think uh, what you'll find as you progress along that journey, people tend to like yield generally, which is why the winter portfolio on the website gives you a 6% yield courtesy of property, courtesy of bonds, but courtesy of certain themes like solar power, which can give you a 5.5-6% yield. Mm, incredible. You've mentioned that these portfolios are in the round, mm. that they are they are essentially informing our readers of a, a process, an mm. approach to investing rather than being... Mm-hmm advice um but what would be quite useful to understand is that whilst you would not necessarily be encouraging readers to go and buy exactly the same mm. mix of funds what, what sort of approach do you take then when you're trying to fulfill the thematic objectives what kind of approach do you take in going out and selecting the funds themselves well i i don't invest in investment trusts, trusts even in trusts rather than funds i don't invest in investment trusts unless by and large i've spoken with the fund manager I think it's very important if you are investing, and I am very lucky, not every um, investor can do this, but I take advantage of the fact that I do write a column, that I do have a website, that I've written the the Financial Times Guide to Investment Trust to be able to ring up fund management groups and they return your call. Um, And I like to speak to the fund manager, having been a fund manager myself um, in the 80s and 90s, and just talk through the portfolio. And I think there's there's no substitute for that. A fact sheet and a website will give you so much information. But talking to the person who actually runs the money, I think, is invaluable. And I take a, a modest advantage of that. I try I try not to be too overbearing and, and, and become a nuisance. But once or twice a year, I'll make a phone call and I'll have a 10-minute conversation with somebody. And, and what particular characteristics are you looking for? Then, what, what, what is it you're looking for in a fund manager? So, you've, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've got that meeting, um, <laughs> and, you, you know, you want to... You you there's something you're looking to identify that, that perhaps make you want to invest. Uh, I'm looking for a range of things, actually. Um, I, I can't list them all now, but I'll share one or two with you. I'm looking for somebody who isn't afraid to buck the consensus. Because if you're going to outperform, John... You sometimes have to deviate from the benchmark. I can think of uh, I can think of a fund manager who I, I'm pretty sure you're invested in, who uh, is in our magazine this week, Nick Train. Yes, absolutely. He's, he he, he fits the bill there. Yeah, he does. Yeah, uh, he's a great believer in in the advance of technology and and investing in those companies by and large that that um, are going is, is, uh, going to benefit from uh, technology. Uh, he also is, I think, be- partly because of his view, and I'm paraphrasing him, and no doubt he'll he'll be on to me to correct this, but. Um, because of technology, he's positive about the market, and so he's invested in um, in, in companies that will, like fund management groups, that will benefit from a rising market. But um, yes, he is one, and there are others out there who actually are not afraid to say, "Look, don't judge me in the short term; judge me over the long term." And if I deviate from the market, expect a little bit of volatility. But I, I think I know what I'm doing, and and that is what I'm looking for. Is one of the traits with regards to um, how, what to select by way of investment trust. There are others. Um, overview on the market. Uh, discipline 
when it comes to the fund management process itself. I don't want to see a portfolio where there's two or three holdings representing 20, 25% each, because uh, that is that is the, the risk reward is out of kilter there. So you're looking at a range of issues. You're looking at gearing. So you, so you are drilling down into the you actual are, holdings of are. the portfolio. Even the cost of gearing, I think, is important. There are trusts out there that have very expensive debt. Mm. Well, that is a hurdle to performance. You've got to keep an eye on things like that. So it's, it's drilling into the detail a little bit, trying to do your research before you have that conversation so you're not wasting people's time, so that you focus on what is important to you when you have that time. There will come points at which you decide to sell a fund. Now, often, as you say, you know, you're a long-term investor. You're, generally speaking, you will buy something for a very long period. Mm. What will prompt you to sell something and it, beyond sort of a, a minor rebalancing because of portfolio weightings? Well, first of all, I'm a patient investor. If I believe in a fund manager, uh, I won't sell something just because they've had a short period of underperformance because all good fund managers go through periods of underperformance. But I'll sell something if I if the period of underperformance is extended beyond what I think is reasonable. If the trust itself is looking expensive relative to NAV, and sometimes as part of the mix, it's because I see better opportunities elsewhere. It is an opportunity cost business to a certain extent, mm. in the sense that you're always looking for long term opportunities elsewhere. You have an outer orbit of stocks you're monitoring that aren't in the IC columns or in the website portfolios that you're you're tracking, that you've already had conversations with the fund manager about. And fund managers tend to be very patient. They know that you may, just because you have a conversation, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be investing in them immediately. But you, you have this outer orbit of stocks that you're monitoring. And sometimes, you know, you say to yourself, right, this is a good moment to make that switch. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But the track record of the portfolios, all seven portfolios, suggest that we're making more right decisions than wrong. So, so that would suggest that you are keeping a fairly close eye on the level of discounts and premia. Yes. And that, that actually something that, that has moved into significant premia, you may actually see that as an opportunity to, to bank those profits. Yes, but let me, let me say now, and I've, I hope I've made this clear in, in previous columns, just because something moves on to a premium isn't, for me... Um, an automatic signal, and you're not suggesting it, but it's not an automatic signal that it's somehow put put on the watch sell list. I mean, mm, Nick Train, mm. uh, you mentioned him earlier, with regards to Finsbury Growth and Income Trust, is rarely standing at a significant discount. It's usually at NAV there or thereabouts. But I think that is justified given his track record over time and also the fact that I agree with his approach, his particular approach. Now, Having said that, he he admits to, to I think it was something that to most investors would sound insane that he hasn't well, actually bought a new share for oh he's or, a long-term for years. Of so. I mean, he he identifies companies he likes. He identifies companies that um, he he feels are going to benefit from technology one way or the other. And by and large, he's got a good track record. Now, uh, I think he's been adding to existing holdings on recent setbacks. Yes, um, and um, you know, I think the long-term track record you can't fault that. But there will come a time when he will, and I'm sure he's the first to admit it. Well, he's admitted it to me anyway. I think he's been, admitted everything well, in this well, magazine here. He, he will underperform. <laughs> yes. Um, no, he, he speaks specifically yeah, about that in this yeah. issue. And and but the important thing is, just because he goes through a period of underperformance doesn't mean, in my book, that you should sell the stock. Because, you know, I come back to this. I mean, we we use the term a lot in in in, in our profession, but I think t- being able to take the long term, 
being being willing to be a patient investor and by taking the long term and staying invested you're also doing something else and that is harvesting those dividends Mm. which over time represents the lion's share of your total return being able to take that sort of approach i think is by far the best approach and it's it's one of the few advantages but a significant advantage that private investors have over the institutions because they are if you like caught up in a much shorter time scale of quarterly meetings quarterly performance data and private investors have that natural advantage which they would be wise to use to its fullest extent absolutely and it's, it's a message that we we promote in the investors chronicle quite, quite regularly i mean the problem i think people have with that approach is that in itself it isn't very exciting and the stock market is a noisy place there's lots happening there's share prices you know looking cheap and expensive and the temptation is to do stuff but uh, for private investors i you know overcoming that temptation is perhaps even more difficult i think it is but but i think that that leads us into another area and that is i'm not a great believer in listening to so-called experts and forecasters i mean the ic is very good in this respect it, it does drill down into research but you can pick up other people's research, which is more about forecasting than anything else. And I think, by and large, ignore forecasters, because uh, I think it was Galbraith, the famous economist, who once said that forecasts predict not because they know, but because they're being paid to do so. And I think it's, it's an important point. Shareholders, equity shareholders, over the long term, should benefit from a growing economy, because what is the point of an entrepreneur taking the risk of entering the market and and creating wealth and it is a risk if they can just house their money in a bank and take interest they go into the market to try to generate profits and over time profits that exceed bank interest and over time shareholders should benefit from that all things being equal so again i come back to this point about the patient investor try to avoid excitement in many respects try to avoid the noise and 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 all the rest of it focus on the market focus on good companies focus on market on companies that add value and create wealth and over the long term you won't be disappointed indeed we spoke earlier about the the, the general market conditions and, and and how you feel that they're supportive of equities mm. um and that would be the inflationary outlook and the interest rate outlook mm. to finish off this uh, this little chat let's let's perhaps uh, explore some of those uh, you for example believe that the, the the low interest rate environment is going to continue for some time well ever since 2009 writing this column i, I took a slightly maverick position uh, and i still believe it that because this recession is unusual compared to most previous ones in that it's characterized by high debt rather than lack of demand although there's a slight link between the two it is essentially about debt this recession and given the fact that despite all the talk of austerity governments are still adding to the debt uh, maybe at a reduced rate policymakers have uh, are restricted by way of their response you can have individual default which is very painful you can have a globally coordinated default which is uh, still being talked about and still possible. You, there's one or two other policy matters, but one of them is is because of the extent of debt, you've got to keep interest rates low. And QE, I think, is going to be around for longer than people realise because you can never prove a counterfactual, but the bottom line is QE, I think, broadly speaking, has, had a, uh, has enabled uh, bank balance sheets to be repaired. It has uh, re- helped with the debt a little bit. There are 
downsides with QE, but the bottom line is I think it's going to be around for longer than people realise whilst we repair the situation uh, with regards to the high debt. And a side effect of all this is rising inflation, which I think is also part of the mix. Uh, I think policymakers do want to get inflation up because short of growth, which is the most sustainable way of alleviating the debt, growth has been hard to come by by and large because of the extent of debt. It acts as a weight to growth. Uh, Inflation, on the other hand, helps to erode that debt over time. So expect, you know, policy to be such that it will result in higher inflation. I'm not too concerned at this point because... During the early stages of inflation, equities usually do quite well. It's the later stages you've got to be worried about, but I don't see any evidence of that at the moment. So, so in short, for, we have uh, possibly got a, a reasonable period of uh, of, a, of a monetary backdrop that, it, that will continue to be supportive mm. of, uh, yes, of equities. I think that's right. Interest rates in my book, in relative terms at least, will stay low for longer than people. And I've been saying this for years, John, as you know, you've read mm. the columns. I think that QE is going to hang around for longer than people expect whilst we sort this debt out and it's going to take longer than people realise. So, I mean, you look at all the talk of austerity. I mean, you know, let's take the UK government, austerity for years and years. OK, we've halved the deficit, but that's still adding to the debt at the end of the day at half the rate we were previously. Yeah, we talked about this earlier as well, this sort of mind-boggling numbers involved as well. Yes, Almost make it seem unreal. Yes, which it I does. Think is, it uh, does. Um, I, you know, so low interest rates, uh, they may rise a little bit, but low interest rates, a modicum of inflation, hopefully growth will pick up, and we may just may get through this period to sunnier uplands. Uh, meanwhile, unemployment remains relatively low, and that's a very good thing. And uh, it really does support the case for taking an approach like yours uh, and putting together portfolios that, that deliver on uh, on financial objectives that, that actually enable you to actually generate a, a decent return on your cash. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's kind of you to say. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I get lots of questions about, you know, should I be in this portfolio or that portfolio? I say, I can't advise. I think you only put in the market, you only invest in the market, or the extent to which you invest in the market, I should say, should depend on your time horizon, your risk profile, your income requirements, and the size of the portfolio relative to your assets as a whole – the portfolio should never be a source of sleepless nights. No, absolutely not. Well, thankfully, it isn't for me. <laughs> Especially your portfolios. Good. Uh, is, uh, thank you very much, John. That's, uh, that's fantastic. We're, we're trying to get a, an event together at the moment, yes. um, which will hopefully happen sometime in September. And the idea is that you'll be talking through all of your portfolios in a, in a bit more detail that you write for us, uh, and that we'll, we'll be trying to get some of the fund managers uh, along who yes. you invest in. Yes, I think that's right. I'm leaving it in, in your hands, in your capable hands, mm. um, so it's still in the planning stage. But if it if it goes ahead, then what I'll be hoping to do is if you like, lift the bonnet a little bit on the portfolios. Uh, and I'd hope to make it interesting by including a few of the fund managers that I'm in or the portfolios are invested in and just try to, uh, as far as we can, lay open the, the, the logic behind the portfolios and some of the thinking behind it. Watch this space.
Thank, thank you, John. So, thank you very much for listening. Um, as I say, we, uh, we're not really going to talk through the magazine this week because no one's here. There's lots and lots in it. We have, as I've mentioned, John Rosier's portfolio. The main feature uh, is fantastic. Uh, our company's editor kind of thought we had a bit of a gap in our, in our portfolio of, uh, of index coverage. Uh, and this week we're looking at the biggest dividend payers on the stock market, responsible between them for roughly two thirds of all the income paid by all the companies on the main market, which is an extraordinary extraordinary figure and we're really looking at the the ability of these companies to to carry on paying those dividends and and it's and it's a question worth asking because because as you can see you know companies like shell and bt have a number of issues you know lots of competing demands for the cash that they're otherwise going to distribute to shareholders so uh definitely worth a read we're really pleased with this one the usual stock screens the usual tips uh some company results and and lots of news and obviously the personal finance team will be back tomorrow to talk through the funds and uh, money section of the uh, of the magazine so Income Majors, uh, the outlook for Britain's most popular dividend shares uh, available in all good news agents or uh, pop along to our website. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you again to John. And uh, we'll be back next week, probably with a slightly fuller studio here. So uh, see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.